Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. BC gyms back in action. Today I'm taking the cautious step of reopening gyms and exercise facilities. The new limits on capacity and how other businesses still have to suffer. Daycare is in crisis. There has to be help for parents financially. Guidelines forcing healthy kids to stay home and how it's costing parents thousands. And reopening the Coquihalla Highway. This is not the Coquihalla as we know it. The epic repair work to get traffic moving earlier than expected. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. After days of frustration and anxiety, BC's top doctor apologized to businesses for the confusion over COVID restrictions and extending the rules that have kept many operators closed since late December. While gyms will be allowed to get active again later this week, it's status quo for bars and nightclubs. Richard Zussman has more on the changes. Weight lift, lift off. I'm taking the cautious step of reopening gyms and exercise facilities with capacity limits and the continued use of the BC vaccine card. After nearly a month of being shut down, gyms and fitness centres can now plan to reopen. The opening this Thursday. Individual group fitness allowed. Capacity limits based on ensuring 7 metres square distance between people. Pre-bookings for workouts and schedules for classes are encouraged. And masks must be worn in the gym except when exercising with this additional guidance. I will say it is absolutely encouraged during exercise depending on what you're doing for most people given what we know about transmission with Omicron right now and must be used at all times by instructors and personal trainers and staff. Even just these mild restrictions here um, are better if we are able to have our doors open. And we really, really hope that January 20th here in British Columbia is the new January 1st. The other restrictions will remain in place. This means bars and clubs still closed unless they serve food. All venues capped at 50% capacity from community centre meetings all the way to Canucks games. Sports tournaments not allowed. These measures will be reviewed before they expire February 16th. I know that many people felt that we were overreacting, and I've said this from the very beginning of the pandemic, that our challenge and my challenge is to find that balance. The province was set to use the BC vaccine card right up until the end of January. That is now going to be extended. For how long and whether the province will be making changes to how the card is used are still unknown. I want to find that balance of supporting businesses to stay open, um, supporting people to be in an environment that is as safe as possible, and it has been very effective in working on that. One change not coming? What fully vaccinated means. Boosters will not be needed to qualify for the BC vaccine card. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. 
All right, the fitness industry has mixed reaction to today's changes, allowing gyms and other fitness centers to reopen with those capacity restrictions. Imada Gahi joins us now with more on the new rules and what might seem like a loophole to some, Imad. Yeah, and it's something we know at least one nightclub owner has tried and succeeded in order to reopen legally last weekend. So despite being ordered by Dr. Bonnie Henry to close for another month, it's something that others could follow. And it's something the industry wants called an exemption rather than a loophole. Check temperature. Meticulous. Huh. I'm good. There's no other way to describe how fitness guru Ron Zalko runs his Kitsilano gym. It's a big space, 20,000 square foot. At one time, we have only about 40 people. So with all of that in place, you could understand his frustration when ordered to close last month. That's the crossover machine. Keep in mind, he had already cut ties with his unvaccinated members. I don't criticize the government. The government uh, understand what they're doing. Uh, except I don't think it was necessary to close us down this time because we all follow up the guideline. Jumping the gun by a couple of days, some including this gym in Kelowna that has been fined for defying health orders before, decided to open up right away Tuesday. We are open, we're here, and we're the voice. That's what you need to understand, and we're not going anywhere. While gyms can reopen this week, nothing on paper changes for the other industry caught up in COVID closures. So they've gotten creative. What I decided to do is offer a menu from the pawn shop, which is just down the street and from Domino's Pizza, and that allowed me to legally open in a safe way. So I got open last weekend. You could call it a loophole, but desperate times call for desperate measures, and there's nothing stopping other nightclubs from now doing the same. And that can be sandwiches and pizzas provided by a catering truck outside or a food truck. If you can find a way to get food served to your customers and have it available for them, a full meal service, then you can reopen today. There are frustrations now, especially at clubs that shut down for New Year's Eve. Had they known this earlier, they may have avoided losing thousands of dollars. Many of these uh, hospitality businesses uh, would have remained open and they would have uh, done what they've done throughout the entire pandemic. They would have uh, bent over backwards to, to, to ensure that they're, uh, they're adhering to all the health restrictions. All right, a lot of people looking forward to Friday's Canucks game. What was in the provincial health order dealing with that, Amon? So the restrictions on events and gatherings are extended until at least February 16th. So that game on Friday here against the Florida Panthers, the first home game in well over a month now, is going to go ahead at least until we hear more uh, at 50% capacity. And the club has already mentioned that the priority will be given to season ticket holders for that. All right. Thanks very much. Amada Gahi reporting in Vancouver. Let's take a look at the latest numbers for B.C. We have 854 people in hospital now. 112 of those patients are in the ICU. There have been two more deaths from complications of the virus. There are now just over 37,000 active cases in the province. That includes 1,975 new cases. And that pushes B.C. over the 300,000 total case count milestone. Keith Baldry joins us now with a closer look at those hospitalizations and the double whammy, Keith, of uh, pressure on our health care system.
Yeah, we've never seen anything like this before. The number of daily hospitalizations has more than doubled in a little more than a week. Uh, we're approaching 1,000 cases a day very quickly. Here's a breakdown of some of the more serious cases. First of all, 75 people in all uh, increased the hospitalization rate in just one day. It's a 35 net increase because the number of people, of course, are discharged. 50 patients in the ICU are now on ventilators. That's up five from yesterday. Nine patients are under 40, including several people in their 20s in ICU, and six of them are unvaccinated. And in terms of overall, 47 ICU patients are unvaccinated. That includes, again, some young people in their 20s and 30s. It does put pressure on our system. Uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix today said it's not so much about a bed charge, because we're not at that. We're only at 95 percent occupancy rate in our hospital beds. But it comes down to a staffing issue. So many people are sick right now who are frontline health care workers. That's where the pressure comes. Here's Minister Dix. The issue is, because remember, and just today, we are uh, we have uh, approximately uh, 2,234 vacant beds in our system, base and surge. The issue is, and what makes this period different than past period, is the impact of sickness on our staff. And I went through those numbers in detail, and we're of course happy that there are fewer days lost uh, to sickness or fewer people lost to sickness this week impacted by sickness this week than last week. So the level of sickness is quite high, Sophie. Uh, last week, about almost 18,000 frontline healthcare workers were homesick, uh, many of them with COVID-19 and other ailments. The week before, it was about 20,000, so the number has gone down a bit. But that compares to about seven or 8,000 a week on average before the pandemic. And when you take that many people out of the healthcare system, you can have all the beds you want uh, in terms of being open. If you don't have the staff to treat people, that creates a real problem. That's the situation we find ourselves in right now. Our hospitalizations are skyrocketing due to Omicron. Yeah, we need those healthcare workers healthy themselves. Thanks for that, mm-hmm. Keith. The B.C. government hopes a new public health order that requires all teachers and support staff in B.C. schools to report their vaccination status will provide better data on which schools are most at risk of COVID-19 exposures. But as Kamal Karamali reports, the B.C. Teachers Federation says the order doesn't go far enough. The language in the new public health order for schools is firm. An employer, which in this case is the Board of Education, must request proof of vaccination from each staff member and must keep a record of each staff member's vaccination status. So it really enables the school district to uh, to make it very clear that it is a a legal um, mandate that they are able to ask all staff in that school district to report their vaccination status. In hopes learning more about how many teachers have been vaccinated or not will allow school boards to make more educated decisions on vaccine mandates. It's to support the school districts in that decision-making about mandates. As you know, I've been very clear that it is the employers who are responsible for making those decisions. And in the way that our our school system is set up, it is the school districts um, who are the employers. Right now, there are only two school districts that have made vaccines mandatory for staff, Revelstoke and Delta. What we're hoping to do is to encourage our staff who are not vaccinated to do so. We don't see this order as being necessary. But the order to disclose vaccine records doesn't go far enough for the BC Teachers Federation. They'd rather see an order to make vaccines mandatory for all teachers. We still say that this order should have been a provincial vaccine mandate. Uh, We don't agree that the onus should be on individual boards to... um, make these decisions. 
The province's hope continues to be that seeing staff's vaccine status will encourage boards to implement a vaccine mandate. Kamala Kramali, Global News. BC's daycare industry was looking for some clarity in today's briefing and relief for parents who've been forced to keep their children at home, sometimes even when they're healthy. As Kylie Stanton reports, strict self-isolation requirements have been eased, but the sector is still asking for more concrete guidelines to be put in place. One little, two little, three little signs. In many childcare centres across the province, circle time is on hold, kids cut off from their routines. Instead, sent home on 10-day isolation orders following exposure to COVID-19. As we were kind of going through it, it kind of turned into this, now what do we do? Dave Grender is one of the thousand parents attempting to balance work and childcare from home all while continuing to pay the centre in order to keep the spot. And even once his child returns, there's no guarantee she won't be sent home again. When another case comes and you're out another bit and another bit and another bit. Calling the rules simply unsustainable. In. That paycheck may or may not come in and... You know, where's the bottom line? Last week, the provincial health officer indicated any asymptomatic child unvaccinated and deemed to be a close contact in a daycare did not have to isolate for 10 days. But official changes were not made to the BC CDC website, leaving providers in limbo. It doesn't follow with what the parents are hearing on the news. So we are legitimately being hung out to dry in a lot of cases. When asked to clarify Tuesday, Dr. Henry confirmed the new rules. That is a change. You don't need to isolate if you've been a contact and you're a healthy child. And we need to help walk people through what that's going to look like in the coming days. But with the updated guidelines still not posted, it leaves everyone involved playing the waiting game. And at this point for parents and providers... Every day counts. Do this when this happens, do this when this happens is absolutely necessary. And at the same time, the sector needs to be involved in making those guidelines. Until then, so many of these rooms sit empty while exhausted parents are running on fumes. Trying to work and look after a child at the same time uh, is like trying to do laundry and cook at the same time. It's, you know, it's a challenge in itself. Kylie Stanton, Global News. A lot of people are hoping to get away from it all, but the Omicron variant is throwing a wrench into WestJet's winter schedule. The airline is announcing further flight reductions in February. WestJet is already flying 15% fewer flights than it planned in January. And in February, another 20% of flights will be canceled. WestJet says Omicron is affecting staffing levels. And governments have put up barriers to international travel. Of course, flying Canadian south during the winter is an airline's bread and butter, but the airline is calling for an end to mandatory testing on international arrivals to help end the downturn. We're passing a milestone in recovery two months after historic flooding and washouts wiped out the Coquihalla Highway. The road between Hope and Merritt is about to reopen much earlier than anticipated, but there are some things you should know before you go. That's next on the news hour. Like, it's just crazy. Like, what, like, how does this happen to me? Like, again? The Flaming Lips and the Girl from Fernie, an unlikely collaboration that got them both on the Stephen Colbert show. That's later. And what in the wordle? The puzzling <laughs> phenomenon sweeping the planet coming up later. 
you only get six chances. <laughs> All right, the Coquihalla will reopen to regular vehicle traffic tomorrow about two months after catastrophic flooding destroyed more than 100 kilometers of that major transportation route. Yeah, BC's Transportation Ministry sharing this video today of a two-lane stretch between Hope and Merritt, a hint of what motorists can expect on that temporary fix. Catherine Urquhart has more, including the cost of the Herculean effort to repair Highway 5. Two months ago, catastrophic flooding led to devastating mudslides and highway closures in BC. Among the highways impacted, the Coquihalla. Now, following extensive work, the section between Hope and Merritt is being reopened to the public on Wednesday. We had 300 incredible women and men uh, working on that job around the clock to be able to do that. I think we mobilized 140 pieces of equipment. Driving the Coquihalla will involve delays, adding about 45 minutes to the trip. And electric vehicle charging stations remain out of operation at Britton Creek. Still, news of the opening is being welcomed. This is fabulous news. You know, it, when, when it's taking two to three hours longer on Highway 3 for our customers to come from Vancouver, the Lower Mainland, and Seattle. It'll mean less traffic on, on Highway 3. Um, that's a blessing and a, and a curse at the same time. Um, we're kind of counting on some of that traffic for economic recovery. Um, and at the same time, it will allow us to be able to get back to somewhat normal activities on our highway. Also announced, weight restrictions are being lifted for Highway 99 between Pemberton and Lillooet, although the province is discouraging truckers from using that route due to challenging terrain. In the Fraser Valley, Highway 1 has partially reopened from Kanaka Bar, south of Lytton to Spences Bridge. And repairs continue at 23 sites on Highway 8 between Merritt and Spences Bridge. The price of fixing so many critical routes? The early estimates are in the range of 170 to $220 million. This work covers uh, work on both the south coast and in the interior, all of the areas impacted by the series of extreme weather events. Uh, of that figure, approximately 45 to $55 million our expenses that were incurred to reopen the Coquihalla. Those are only the temporary costs. Permanent repairs to BC's flood-ravaged highways are expected to cost hundreds of millions more. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Up next, Broadway businesses cut off from customers. Brutal. Uh, it's been brutal. They were warned it would be disruptive, but even they can't believe how bad subway construction has become. And what's coming that might hold back home prices in B.C.? Traffic has eased off nicely here on Highway 1 eastbound through the Burnaby Lake stretch with just some minor congestion at merge points like Wellington and Kensington. With BCAA Car Insurance, it's easy to renew from anywhere. From ICBC Auto Plan renewals to exclusive savings, visit bcaa.com today. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Construction of the Broadway subway line only started last year, but businesses along the busy corridor are already feeling imprisoned by fences, lane closures and detours. As Krista Dow reports, considering the new line isn't scheduled to reopen until 2025, the impact is only expected to get worse. 
some physical reminders that the shops here are open for business, despite everything else around it that might suggest otherwise. It's been brutal. Uh, it's been brutal. It's like a treasure hunt trying to get there. The busy Broadway corridor blanketed by construction, streets fenced off, pedestrian walkways closed, and parking is almost non-existent. I've had businesses leave uh, just because you can't, you can't get to them. There's a, a level of frustration. We're holding our collective breath um, for when this, this deck behind me is done. The deck is just one piece of the Broadway subway project, a 5.7-kilometer extension of the Millennium Line. And at the heart of it all is Odin Books. Owner Catherine Ellesmere says the lack of accessibility and parking has been frustrating to navigate. We're a mental health bookstore, right? People come here because they have anxiety, and if it, we make it so stressful and so anxiety-provoking to get here, it um, kind of defeats the purpose. So we're really, really concerned. The shop has essentially lost all foot traffic sales, having to rely on online and pre-orders. It's a similar story next door at Portside Interiors. We kind of style the entire store in, uh, in vignettes. Having moved in last year, they accepted the challenges that come along with the project. They say, though, there needs to be modifications. Not only for them, but for all impacted businesses. We were kind of fighting uh, with the project at the beginning to hopefully gain access to Main Street, rather than being uh, tucked away, kind of hidden behind all the construction fencing. Just a little bit of, uh, a little bit of parking to be restored here. Uh, our fingers are crossed. Because if, if you can't stop, you know, you can't shop. The $2.8 billion project is set to be complete in 2025. The hope that businesses here will survive to see the day. Krista Dow, Global News. If you are in the market for a new home, 2022 could finally be your year. According to the BC Real Estate Association, BC's red-hot housing market is expected to cool off slightly. Ted Chernecki shows us what the experts believe will happen to increase supply, even if it won't necessarily lead to dropping prices. You'll be seeing fewer of these sold signs in 2022, but even with rising mortgage rates, you'll not likely see housing prices drop this year in the lower mainland. We are at a level of sales right now coming off an all-time record in 2021. So sales are going to come down. They're probably going to come down anyway. They might come down a little bit more if the Bank of Canada tightens a lot more than expected. Uh, but they're coming down into a market that's severely undersupplied. Only with a significant increase in supply can would-be homeowners hope to see a price drop. What will happen is it's going to get more expensive to carry a mortgage. Some of the lenders, they increased the rates last night and they went up 0.1 of a percent. So they went from 2.69 to 2.79. Um, and in regards to historically, well, if we look pre-pandemic rates, in March of 2020, um, the five-year fixed rates were actually 2.74. The BC Real Estate Association has just updated its economic outlook. And while rates are forecast to continue rising, it believes the Bank of Canada's prime rate can only go up so much before it starts to slow economic growth. I would expect it's going to be difficult to bring rates much above where we were pre-pandemic. But again, that, and that's 1.75%. Um, but that really kind of depends on whether or not we can start bending inflation back towards its 2% target. Here's the five-year discounted fixed mortgage rate charted from 2006 to today. In 18 years, the rate's never been higher than 6%. 
and in the last 10, it's hovered around 3%, which is where we're probably headed. I'm not sure that there's a lot to worry about because we are very similar to where we were two years ago. The biggest worry for the Bank of Canada is inflation, especially if everyone starts building higher prices into their product or service in anticipation of the cost of living increase. That's a variety of inflation far worse than one caused simply by temporary breaks in the supply chain. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Coming up, the Trina Hunt mystery one year later. Such an undignified way for such a dignified person's life to end. Frustrated friends and family wonder why her homicide has never been solved. And the big dig. Toronto residents struggle with no place to put all that snow. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good evening. Two lanes north and one south over here at the Lionsgate Bridge. Just seeing some minor delays southbound across the bridge deck and through the Stanley Park Causeway. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Charges have been laid in connection with a fire that destroyed a home in Coldstream. The fire lit up the night sky Friday evening. The home was destroyed, but thankfully no one was injured. Late Friday evening, RCMP arrested a 38-year-old man. Matthew Eric Mason is facing a charge of arson with disregard for human life. He remains in custody. It has been one year since Trina Hunt was reported missing. The 48-year-old from Port Moody disappeared, sparking a massive search before her remains were found months later. The case remains unsolved. A reward is still on the table. And as Ramina Dea reports, Hunt's family continues to search for answers. Kind of hit me like a freight train this morning. It is the weight of murder one year later. One year of our lives without Trina in it and reliving the trauma of the year, how drastically everything changed. <laughs> January 18th, 2021. Police say 48-year-old Trina Hunt was reported missing by her husband, Ian Hunt. Trina's cousins say Ian told the family they were visiting a campground in Hope the weekend of January 15th, adding they were on a digital detox, which is why Trina could not be reached by phone. We have reached out to Ian for comment. More than two agonizing months pass. Then, on a cold Monday morning, Trina's remains are discovered south of Silver Creek in Hope, March 29th. It's one thing to murder someone, but then to just leave them in the middle of nowhere, hoping that they'll never be found. It's just, it's vicious and it's cruel. Homicide investigators searched Trina's Port Moody home and her husband's parents' home in Mission in June. No one has been arrested or charged. We don't understand how anyone would take our beautiful daughter away from us for no apparent reason. Sergeant David Lee of IHIT tells us Trina's case remains a priority. 
but he says no new information can be shared with the public because investigators don't want to, quote, jeopardize a positive outcome. My gut is telling me that it's, they will charge the person or persons responsible with Trina's murder. If doing the right thing isn't an incentive, maybe cash will be. A $50,000 reward by Trina's family still stands. I beg of you, if you know anything, call IHIT, tell them, let them decide if the information is valuable. That could be the final piece of information that they need for this case to be approved and for charges to be laid. Romina Dea, Global News. Police say a would-be thief was caught in the act after a hapless heist attempt at the downtown Vancouver Gucci store. On Sunday morning, police were patrolling near Thurlow and Alberni when they saw the suspect prying back a piece of plywood from a previous break-in before entering the posh retailer. 37-year-old Taylor Marchuk was arrested when he tried to leave with stolen merchandise. He's charged with break-and-enter and possessing break-in tools. Gucci has been repeatedly targeted by thieves, including a pepper spray incident last month. The, uh, the hospital staffing touched on earlier due to COVID-19 are creating some challenges in the interior. The Interior Health Authority is temporarily closing inpatient services in Clearwater, Invermere and Lillooet to stabilize the emergency departments in those communities. Overnight hours will be reduced in Ashcroft and the Slocan Health Center, while the Barrier and District Health Center will also close to redeploy staff to nearby emergency departments. All non-urgent surgeries in the authority will continue to be rescheduled as needed. Still to come, a ferny teenager steps into the spotlight. How an unlikely friendship with a flaming lips put Nell Smith on her own path to stardom. But first, the five-letter game that's sweeping social media. Why everyone seems to be playing Wordle. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. It is all hands on deck in Toronto as the work continues to clean up from that massive snowstorm. Schools remain closed, cars stuck and public transit struggling. And as Global's Karen Lieberman reports, it could be several days before things are flowing smoothly again. From the big dump to the big dig. Work is ongoing 24 hours a day until the job is done. With hundreds of road plows, salt trucks and sidewalk plows, crews are working around the clock to complete the mammoth task of clearing the city of one of the biggest storms in recent history. Trying to remember the last time I saw this much snow, especially in the city. It's the biggest snowstorm that we've seen in a while. It was clearly the first um, major storm, not only of, of this year, this winter, but probably the last 15 years. Global news teams spread out across the GTA found countless cars being dug out. I've uh, been pretty busy, uh, spending about an hour digging my, my car out of the snow. Not to mention driveways. I got it to the end of the drive and then the, uh, the plough came and built it up a bit higher for us this morning, so another hour. I have to shovel up all the snow for about four hours and I only did like half of my driveway. Getting around hasn't been easy either. Public transit was hit hard by the snowfall. 
Yesterday we walked because the buses were all stuck in the snow. There's even one over there that's still stuck from yesterday. The TTC estimates there are more than 300 buses that remain stuck in deep snow banks across the city. Cars were stranded too. Lots of shoveling, but I've been waiting for it all year. Schools were closed for a second straight day. We had 36 of our schools with significant heavy snow on top of the roofs that had to be cleared off first before occupancy. And despite the time and effort of lifting up all that heavy white stuff. Yesterday, two hours. Uh, today, one hour. Mehdi Abadi is having fun getting it done in the sun. You're wearing shorts while you're shoveling. Uh, okay. Uh, weather is not very cold. It's good. I think it's good. I'm working. It's warm here now for me. <laughs> yes. Karen Lieberman, Global News. A so. blue sky and sunshine makes it a lot more tolerable, doesn't it? We're still waiting for some of that out here on the West Coast, though, Christy. <laughs> snow? Yes, I am. I've always waiting for snow. Uh, you know what, though, we've had a bit of a role reversal. In uh, December, we had all the cold air out west uh, here uh, that brought us some snow as well. Uh, and then now we've had this big switch with that Arctic air mass now shifting into eastern sections. Here's a look at the jet stream pattern. Uh, so they have, this is even into this weekend, they have more Arctic air on the way, uh, sort of a polar um, a vortex sort of uh, dropping down into their region whereas on the western side of uh, Canada, we're in a very lucky position where the jet stream's driving up and over and we're seeing mild conditions. Uh, by the way, in through uh, eastern sections, they are going to see a brief warm-up and then the temperatures will plummet. So there's big concern for icy conditions in that area or any of that snow turning to a block of ice. So they still have a lot more to contend with. Meanwhile, Kamloops, this was the wolf moon yesterday. Thank you to everyone who shared photos with us. Nice to see that across the province. Yeah, we're enjoying things. There is a winter storm though across northern BC. Heavy snow expected for inland sections of the north coast. Also a risk of freezing rain. Uh, here's that system driving in. It means rainfall for our region for Metro Vancouver through the afternoon hours. It shifts out quite quickly on Thursday. Still some lingering showers Thursday. So Thursday still looking wet. But Friday, Saturday through the weekend it's looking terrific as this big upper level ridge is set to build. And that will bring sunshine to most of the province uh, for several days. It is continuing to be cold through the far northern regions, but mild across our region with highs of about 7 degrees. As I mentioned, that rain pushing in, Vancouver Island will see it first for our region through the afternoon hours and we'll continue to see lingering effects on Thursday before that sun makes an appearance Friday through the weekend. Tonight's center window's weather window comes from the Pacific Spirit Park. Stephanie Williams sending us this. The fog today and through the uh, trees like that it gives it a bit eerie look, but it is still beautiful as you can see. Go for a nice walk in there. Thank you, Christy. Well, you might be familiar with Wordle. Perhaps you've overheard your co-workers talking about the new online craze. People are either obsessed or a bit puzzled by the whole thing. Some are already tired of it. But if you haven't already been sucked in, you're probably wondering, how do you play it? Global's Mike Drolet will give you six chances to guess. It's easy to spot a wordler in the wilds of social media. Just look for the green boxes brimming with pride. In many ways, Wordle is more of a craze than a simple game one disciple called addictive nonsense. Simpler, no. I, I think the only barrier is if you're not an English language speaker. A software engineer named Josh Wordle created Wordle last fall for his wife and friends. It's a web-based program which gives users six tries to guess a five-letter word. And there's only one word per day. Get it right, and you get to post those little green boxes for all to see. 
A hundred percent. It is a brag. Um, it's, I think any type of puzzle, Wordle specifically, it's very easy to just say, look how well I am at this. I'm AKA must be smarter than you. In November, there were 90 people using it. Today, it's in the millions, in part because late night host Jimmy Fallon became so obsessed. App at and He spent 10 minutes one show trying to solve the puzzle. The appeal is in its simplicity. There are no ads. It takes under 10 minutes to complete. It's free, and the worldlers want to keep it that way. When another programmer tried to launch a copycat app, the backlash was so intense, Apple pulled the imitator from the store. But here's the thing. The idea isn't entirely new. Vol, V-O-L-E. Vol, V-O-L-E. There's a game show called Lingo, which is itself a copy of a game created over a century ago by Austrian philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein. But Wordlers should already know that because, you know, the best players are pretty much geniuses. Right, Sophie? Mike Trelay, Global News, Toronto. I said might, might be a genius. (laughs) (laughs) I think you are. Oh, And I knew it before you got into Wordle. I haven't done today's yet, so we'll see if I (laughs) get all the greens. A lot of people are struggling with it today. We'll see. Uh, Squire is probably not a Wordle player, but he is a man of... No, I've never played that game. Mm -hmm. Is Fruit Ninja still a thing? Fruit Ninja? Yeah. Is sure still it is. a thing? Somewhere. Okay. Um, Angry Birds, is that still a yes, thing? Yes, that is. That's still a thing? Okay. Uh, after a bad 2021, Lucas Cavallini says he's determined, determined to hit the ground running for the Caps in 2022. Uh, this is the first vacation that I probably never stopped training, so... If Cavallini could score, like we all expect him... The Whitecaps could be very formidable offensively this year. And a young Fernie musician strikes up a special relationship with the Flaming Lips, a band she's been following almost her whole life. All right, let's bring in uh, Squire with sports. I, it, this is the first what? time I have been introduced by a genius. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, Chris, how do you feel about that? Well, you know... <laughs> I mean, Chris is a smart guy, I'm, but he's not a genius. <laughs> the reason I'm successful is I know my limitations. Wow. <laughs> That's important. <laughs> okay, we're actually out of time now, so you can go ahead. Go ahead. I, I don't mind. I've been upstaged by a genius. Uh, COVID took down another Canuck before tonight's game with Nashville. Captain Bo Horvat tested positive, so he joins Connor Garland as a main forward, not able to play for Vancouver because of COVID. Yaroslav Halak also down. Now, because of home games being postponed, tonight's game in Nashville is not just the end of a five-game road trip for the Canucks. This is actually their ninth straight game on the road. Now, there were breaks in between, but still... Nine straight without a game at Rogers Arena. And once again, Thatcher Demko is in goal. And there is no more bellicose team in the NHL than Nashville. More fights than any team in the NHL here. Michael McCarron goes at Tyler Myers. He doesn't fight very often. That's only the 10th fight of his career. David Riddich in goal. Nice save there off a of silly pod Colson. 
Nothing in the first period from either team. We go to a Nashville power play in the second, and rookie Phyllis Thomas, make that Philip Thomasino. My mother's name is Phyllis. His name is Philip. That makes it 1-0. But look who ties it for the Canucks. Now, this is started by Thatcher Demko. Catches the Predators on a line change. The silly pod. Coles in? No. Elias Pedersen. Three and two. His third goal in two games. That helps the cause. One more look. 1-1 after two periods. Finally, Willie O'Ree's number is retired by the Boston Bruins. He couldn't attend the ceremony because of COVID. He watched it live at home. Piped into the arena, his image was. O'Ree, of course, the first black player in NHL history when he played for the Bruins on January 18, 1958. He has been an advocate for minorities in hockey. He's been an advocate for the game. He is a nice man. He is a great man, and he deserves what he got tonight. It's hard to believe that one of the Vancouver Whitecaps' highest-paid players was hardly noticed last year. Lucas Cavallini had to deal with a knee injury in August and September, but before that, he wasn't the goal scorer the Whitecaps thought he would be. One of the most disappointing years of my career, but, I mean, I just want to start brand new this year, so... I'm not thinking about the past so much right now. Cavallini only started three times after Vanni Sartini became the coach, mainly because Brian White had become the Whitecaps' main goal scorer. But Cavallini feels Sartini's system should benefit him as well. I mean, I wasn't part of the, 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 the second half of the season that much, so obviously with Vanni's system, uh, he helped us forwards and and attacking players to, to, to have more chances in, in goal in the box. And, I mean, I just need to be a part of it. So this is uh, it's a good step to, to start the new year. At the Australian Open, Felix Auger-Aliassime joined his buddy Denis Shapovalov in the second round with a five-set win over Finland's Emil Rusevori, a match that was a lot tougher than expected. Unfortunately, none of the Canadian women lasted past the first round today. We'll begin with Vancouver's Rebecca Marino taking on Marie Buskova. Marino winning a point here in the second set after losing the first set by the score of 6-1. to one. And she would lose this match 6-1, 6-3, but good to see her qualifying down under for the Australian Open nonetheless. Wuzkova was ranked higher than Marino in this matchup. And Layla Annie Fernandez against Madison Inglis. Fernandez had a rough day. Here's an example. That should easily clear the net. It did not. And the first set ended with her putting another ball into the net. So she's down 6-4 after one. Second set, Inglis starting to feel it. The way Fernandez was last year at the U.S. Open right down the line. Beautiful. And it ends with another unforced error by Fernandez. Just not her day. And she is out in the first round. The first big change from the Seattle Seahawks' bad season has happened. Defensive coordinator Ken Norton Jr. fired today by Pete Carroll, a man who has worked with Norton for a long time, both in Seattle and at the University of Southern California. But the Seahawks' defense has been very inconsistent the past two seasons. Another defensive assistant, Andre Curtis, was also let go by Seattle. There you go. All right, Squire, thank you. Up next, from toddler to teenager, how a Fernie girl is sharing the stage with her favorite band.
We don't all get to meet our heroes, but a team from Fernie has done a lot more than that with a popular alt-rock group from the U.S., the Flaming Lips. She's been a fan since she was just starting to walk, and now she's gone even further, hitting the stage with her music idols. Imagine getting the chance to sing with your favorite band. Just a dream for any teen, but it's actually happening to 14-year-old Nell Smith. Tell, tell me it is a story. Tell me it is a joke. It's not real. I don't believe it. This story started when Nell was a toddler and her parents took her to a festival in the UK to see the Flaming Lips. When she was 10, they went to see the band in Spokane. Shortly after, another gig in Calgary. When Nell happened to meet lead singer Wayne Coyne before the show and told him she had written a fan letter and given it to a roadie who had left it on the tour bus. Coyne took down her dad's number and said he would look for it. He texted us after the show, I think, saying that he had found the letter and like read it and stuff and thought it was funny. But it was this moment, that same night, of the two singing to each other that offered a glimpse of the friendship to come. It's a Steven Spielberg movie moment. You know, I'm in, I'm in a space bubble <laughs> to begin with. I'm singing a David Bowie song and she's touching my hand through the space bubble. concert, Nell's dad Jude sent coined videos of her singing and practicing guitar. He offered feedback and the mentorship bloomed. She's interested in music and I'm interested in music and she's interested in writing songs and I'm interested in hearing her songs. I don't I don't see how he could ever think that like like I'm the cool one he's so excited to be working with because like I'm just like what this is crazy. Nell Smith's music career is just getting started, sparked by a chance encounter and an unlikely collaboration. Yes. Like, how does this happen to me? Like, again? Like, I try to get people, it's just like, tell me my story, because I don't believe it. Jay Durant, Global News. Believe it, it's real. Mm-hmm. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, email your ideas to jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Some shots in that report from uh, the Stephen Colbert show where she sang Red Right Hand. I burned way too much time at my desk today. <laughs> it's just transfixed to that performance. Very yeah. cool. All right, uh, Christy, last word on weather before you go. Sure. So we will see a few showers overnight, but the main event will push in through the afternoon hours tomorrow with periods of rain. Not heavy, but certainly moderate rain expected late tomorrow into the overnight period, easing on Thursday. Back to you guys. Look forward to that sunshine. All right. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, all.